With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome, everyone. Today on Housing Wire Daily, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Modashami to talk about the decline in home listings, days on market, and mortgage rates. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah. And I do have to say that um, turning 47 today makes me want to believe that 47 is much better than 23. <laughs> you know what? Happy birthday. We are filming this and so we're recording this on your birthday. So happy birthday. And Thank you, you very know much. some things just get better with time. I, I personally am, uh, you're still a youngin compared to me. And from my perspective, things just get better and better. So I, I would concur with that. The best is yet to come. Yeah. <laughs> the best is yet to come. Well, good. Well, we have so much to talk about. You wrote an article for us, um, which was a couple days ago now, which why home price growth is still up 18% year over year. And you're referencing there, of course, the Case-Shiller uh, home price growth index. But you know, there's a larger question here, which is, why is demand down, but days on market are still so low? Like, How do these two things work together? And it really goes into you know, a larger, a larger story. So I would love for you to address that. So when I brought out the savagely unhealthy housing market theme early this year, it was based on a principle that inventory levels are so low that it could really create havoc on the data and pricing. And we, we saw that early uh, in the year where home prices were accelerating beyond anything that we've seen in recent history, even after a 10% 2020, a 20% 2021 year, um, that is a byproduct of not having enough product for the amount of people looking. It's not because we have a massive credit boom. When I observe social media the, or TV or analysts or, or other people, they keep on putting an emphasis on demand when the supply level is very low historically. And so what I thought I needed to do this year is that once rates rise, we're going to get all the usual housing price crash addicts over and over again. And inventory simply isn't going to be escalating as much as they thought. So now that we're basically, this, when this comes out, it'll be September 1st, um, Total inventory levels per the NAR report, the last one, is 1.31 million. You adjust that to population, still the lowest levels ever. You know, in the late 1970s, early 80s, uh, existing home sales went from 2 million to 4 million and then declined from uh, 4 million to 2 million when rates rose and we had that recession. Back then, we had more active listings. That's why I like to show the active listings going back to 1982. Here, think about all the population growth that has happened. And now existing home sales have gone from 6.5 million roughly to 4.81 million. It still has some legs to go. So inventory is actually lower, but the demand is not as bad as we had it in the uh, uh, 1980s. So this explains why 
82% of the homes in this country are still sold within a month, existing homes, not the new home sale market. Uh, why, while median days, the last two months, right, especially the last month, all-time lows, 14 days. This is a byproduct of supply. And it goes back to the original premise of the savagely unhealthy housing market. You don't have enough homes for the people that are looking. And even with declining demand, your days on market are not 90 to 100 like we saw uh, you know, from the 2005 peak of housing to 2008. So try to make sense of the data here. I have to explain what is the one thing that's happened since July that has changed in the supply narrative. New listings data is falling. It's also falling noticeably too. And this is always the concern that I've had. And I remember this in 2018 when mortgage rates got to 5%, everybody panicked. God, everyone panics. Man, we really have to toughen people up. I think that's one of the things we have to do as a country. People are so fragile. They can't take a punch. They can't. It's just like everything is. <laughs> and what happened back then was that we didn't really see any total inventory growth uh, nationally. Purchase application data back then was actually down like only three weeks of the year, very mild year over year. But I thought when if inventory ever broke to all-time lows and, and we have an inventory issue, a real one, because I didn't believe we had an inventory issue from 2012 to 2019, but that people are not going to recognize uh, that the scale of inventory increasing is just not going to be what people think because housing is the cost of shelter to your own capacity to own the debt. People live in their homes. If they sell their homes, they need to acquire another form of shelter. If that's not the case for a primary resident owner, I mean, for a primary resident owner, that always has to be the case. An investor does not have that relationship tie, uh, either flipping or renting the property out. So when you have the best loan profiles ever recorded in modern day history, and then here comes rates rising. And I was like thinking, boy, if rates kept on rising, would people fold? And that's what we're seeing. And that's like not what I want to see. That's like I'm I'm a total, I'm a 2019 get inventory back up there so I could take the savagely unhealthy housing market out. So since July, new listings are falling. And in fact, it's falling so much that the realtor.com year-to-date uh, active listing data is now slightly negative, like 0.01%. So you're having people, a certain group of people that we're still going to have over 5 million total home sales this year. And they're just looking at you know, less homes compared to what we saw in the previous expansion. And that explains why median days on market really fell after 2020, why 82% of the homes are still sold within a month. Uh, we're so far from like 2005 or 2008 or even 2018 data. Uh, what's, what is occurring is that the multiple bids are, you know, from five bids on average to a home is down to like two and a half. That's a positive. That's getting back to its area. But the two main data lines uh, aren't uh, days on market and the, uh, uh, the percentage of homes sold within a month. And really, the new listings declining is not helping us on that, on that front. So that's my way of trying to explain why did I bring the savagely unhealthy housing market theme uh, early in the years. Because traditionally speaking, housing doesn't have like 
high velocity inventory data. It takes like years, unless you have a massive credit boom or credit bust. And this is why when I do the purchase application data on, on my Twitter account every Wednesday, I always draw that black line from 2002 to 2005, just for just to let everybody know what a credit boom looked like and how we never had that. And today, purchase application data is below 2008 levels. Uh, it's down 23% year over year, but the inventory levels are so far from, from what we saw in 2007, which was the peak of 4 million, that I, I, my job is to explain why is this happening, and it goes back to the supply issue, which doesn't get a lot of attention because everybody wants to blame the Fed and record-breaking demand, which never has happened. But now that you can see declining demand noticeably, and the inventory data not really exploding higher, hopefully people can understand that this takes time. I'm glad you brought up the fact that you draw that line from 2002 to 2005, because it is really instructive. And, and, you, and that is the part that led to, everyone wants to talk about 2008, but really they need to go back to look at what happened. Um, and just to clarify there, you said we never had that. We haven't had that since 2005, correct? That's what you're saying? Yeah, we, we fundamentally cannot have a credit boom ever again in housing. We don't have the kind of population growth, nor do we have the lending that could facilitate a credit boom. And this is why I always like to take people back to 2005, the 2005 bankruptcy reform laws, and then the qualified mortgage laws in 2010. You put those two laws into effect, and then you have people living in their homes longer and longer. So what happened is it, it, it facilitated the best home loan profiles we'll ever see in our life. Because Again, a fixed product, your wages rise every year. <laughs> wages are really accelerating recently. So you have all these Americans living in their homes and their cash flow looks really good. And they have mortgage rates between two and a half to four and a half percent, right? Uh, so there's always a, a group of people that have to sell every single year. But outside of that, it's become apparent for some people that financially it is not beneficial to them to move with mortgage rates uh, heading towards 6%. And if they don't need to, then what you're seeing is new listings declining as is faster and more aggressive this year. And that's always the frustration with pricing. It's always part of the housing dilemma that I've talked about uh, earlier this year. You know, And uh, being stuck is always my biggest fear during this period. That, you know, can we get inventory to loosen up if we broke to all-time lows, which we did in 2020? We didn't even have the seasonal push in 2020 that we usually have. And even this year, we're, we're not even going to break really to the low end of uh, 2019, which I was hoping for. At least we could get that. But because of the new listings declined uh, so much faster and so much more aggressively, that, uh, that doesn't look like it's going to happen either. You know, the interest rate, the mortgage rate part of this equation is so big because, okay, so so if you're a renter and um, you've been saving up, you, you want to get into a house, first of all, um, things are less affordable, right? But if you're looking at the long term, it's still worth it for you to get in. I mean, we know these are historically low rates, even in the mid fives, upper fives, even if we got to six, that's that's way better than, you know, in, in the, say, the last three decades when we've had things as, you know, Eleven uh, percent in the in the eighties, higher than that in the seventies, whatever at different times. So it's not like that's just a terrible mortgage rate. And so if you're if you're 
if you want to get into the homeownership game, if you want to go ahead and, and put your stake there and, and own a home, start building that wealth, then you're going to do that. But if you, to your point, if you are someone who's sitting in a home already and there's not some great, you know, outside reason why you need to leave, why would you, you know, abandon that great rate for a more expensive house? You know, because most most houses have gone up in value even in the last, you know, six six months. You know, maybe we've seen some cooling, but, you know, basically you're a more expensive house and a more expensive rate. And so listings, it's understandable why listings are down. Yeah. It's, you know, when I think about housing affordability, it's always the total cost of housing. Uh, so the mortgage rate factor is, of course, is big in the, the pricing of it. But again, you're also thinking of how much home prices have risen. Uh, how much of a down payment you have, the selling equity premise. Uh, a lot of people, especially in California, sold their homes. They have so much equity that they went across the country and they could buy whatever they want because they make more money than anyone else in, in that local area and they have so much equity to put down. If that doesn't continue, then you're you're back to what we call traditional move-up buyers. And if move-up buyers aren't moving, that means they're buying in a local area. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, even before COVID, even before work from home, even before all this happened, I thought, you know, this decade, we should get more people moving just because we have more people ages 30 to 39. That's when they start to have kids. The work from home model put this on steroids. Uh, uh, and we've seen what happens when wealthier Americans move into areas that are cheaper and they're competing against the local economy wages and they just they just roll right over them. If that doesn't continue, you lose the seller, right? You lose the buyer. I'm really worried if we don't get more traditional listing growth next year. Uh, and it really depends on where rates are at. Now, the frustrating thing for me is that the July decline in listings happened when mortgage rates were actually falling. I had hoped that that would bring more sellers into the game. It didn't. So like what I talked about on CNBC, uh, we might need to wait till mortgage rates actually noticeably go down to the low fours to get some of the sellers into the, into the uh, process. And this goes back to, I, I don't want to see us stuck. So I'm hoping that in 2023, the new wave of traditional listings uh, come on top of whatever people can't sell now, and the total inventory accumulates to get us back to 2019 levels. And then that'll be historically somewhat a, a, a better place for the nation. And then the days on market should grow, and then the homes that are selling under one month, that should decline. And we get a more balanced market in that stuff. Because what we have here is 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 it's, it's savagely unhealthy. Uh, uh, and it's not a fluid marketplace. I agree with you that mortgage rates are key to this. So let's talk about that. Where are mortgage rates going? We talked last week about the the Fed's tough, tough talk on raising um, their Fed funds interest rate. What do you think is going to happen in September? What's going to happen for the rest of this year? Give us your best shot on, on where we're going to end up. You know, I, I'm still in the camp that getting mortgage rates above six and a quarter you know, um, assuming that the mortgage, uh, the mortgage-backed security, the pricing is still very bad. You know, again, the ten-year yield being at three point ten percent right now, which is still below the highs in twenty eighteen. The market doesn't really believe in the 
Federal Reserve's we have a strong economy stance. Um, everyone I know is just like waiting to see when rates fall or bond yields fall, but it also needs the economy to crack. And what's happened right now is that the economic data is getting weaker, but the general economy isn't cracking because people are working and their wages are up. So it's interesting that uh, some of the Federal Reserve people are now openly saying we need demand to go lower. So you housing's already in a recession. So what they really need is retail sales to go down a lot so people can get fired, right? Uh, and it's it's weird to say that, but when, when they start talking about unemployment rates needing to rise, that's what they want, right? And we have to if the Fed is telling you we want you to lose your jobs, we want you to spend less, believe them, right? Uh, this is this is what they're talking about. Now, part of me thinks there's a lot of jawboning. It's like a teenager guy bragging about you know some adventure he never had. Um, so uh, it's not getting the long end of the bond market to increase. So what's happening is that we have a very inverted yield curve. And usually when that happens, the economy is getting weaker. And we see weaker economic data, of course, but we haven't cracked, right? And what I mean by cracking means jobless claims start to spike. People start to lose jobs. The ADP report came in uh, weaker than expected. So we're not there yet. And that's why I always caution people. If people are saying we are in a recession now, recessions are very, very easy to spot. Production is down, sales are down, jobs are being lost, incomes are being lost. We have that in housing, but not the general economy yet. So it goes to that tug of war. Can the economy stay firm enough to keep rates high enough for the Federal Reserve to get what they want? They want you to lose your jobs. They want you to spend less, right? They need the unemployment rates higher, right? Uh, they're worried about wages growing too fast. They're worried about the labor market having too much income, right? So, uh, uh, and, you know, we can't do anything about the energy crisis in Europe. You know, Europe's is heading toward a recession, uh, commodities war from Russia to Europe. Okay. That's, that's completely out of our, uh, out of our jurisdiction. China is, China's a mess, right? There's so much stuff going on in China. The U S is what's left. It's holding everyone at bay because the dollar is super strong. By the way, the dollar is super strong. And we all want to remind everyone that Tom Brady's Twitter account perfectly called the biggest dollar rally uh, in recent history by using his laser eyes and promoting Bitcoin on May 10th, 2021, which was the bottom of the dollar before the big rise. I, this is my thing for a while. I, I know. You can hate on Tom Brady for that. But listen, I just did my fantasy team, and the name of my fantasy team <laughs> is Tom is still the goat. So I don't want to hear any more about Tom Brady. Uh, no, no. no I, I, Tom is the goat. Tom is the goat. He His laser crypto eyes actually was the bottom of the dollar before the big <laughs> rise. I saved that tweet because I retweeted him, and I said, King Dollar. And I did my one little blue eye. And said USD. So everyone, go back to to uh, May tenth, and you could see the dollar took off at that point. The great dollar collapse that everybody's talked about for so many years didn't occur again. Well, okay, we will get off Tom Brady. We will come back to that topic at some point, I'm sure. Okay, so let me ask you this: when you're looking at the when you talk about a job loss recession, what do you see happening there? Do you predict a job loss recession? One that's enough to, I mean, do you, do you predict that we're going to lose enough jobs to crack that 
economy, as you've said? And in what sector do you think that's going to happen? Here's here's the here's the interesting aspect of of jobs. You know, in 2008, job openings were two million. Uh, we just got the latest job openings data. It, it rose a little bit. Uh, we're above 11 million currently. Uh, older workers are leaving the workforce, and the Federal Reserve actually, for the first time, really kind of addressed this uh, uh, in almost a frustrated way. That um, what's occurred has been. We don't have the labor pool growth that uh, that we've seen over the decades. So there's parts of the country that just doesn't have enough young people replacing older people. So uh, to them, they're worried about it's, – it's weird to say this, but they're worried about people making more money. And they're worried about the labor market not providing enough labor to come in to naturally bring the unemployment rate higher. Uh, which I understand that if you just have more people looking for a job, the unemployment rate should rise. It's not. It's not occurred. The labor participation rates have been falling since 2000. So a job loss recession usually would have to come from where is the sectors that get hit the most right now? We see it in housing, mortgage layoffs, real estate layoffs. Not in construction yet. Uh, once those homes get built out, we'll see the layoffs in construction if demand still stays weak. But when I think of the U.S. consumers, right, so retail shops would have to lay off people, uh, service sector workers, right, majority of the workers are service sector workers. So um, in, in that context, uh, that's where the damage should always be hit. And in that context, it's usually typically renters. We're talking at scale. We got over 150 million people working. So think of about the job loss recession as what we saw after the tech bubble bursted. Not a lot. Uh, uh, unless you have major, major weakness with duration. So that's that's where I think, that's why I call the Fed a junkyard dog that will let you pet it. Once the labor market turns, that is when I think they pivot. They want, they're trying to buy as much time as possible because we actually do see the growth rate of inflation falling, right? Uh, uh, falling, uh, the rate of growth is falling. That, is, that doesn't mean uh, in, inflation is collapsing or anything. It just means the growth rate is slowing. They want to buy enough time, have enough damage to the economy to where that could come down to where their tone could be different. And then that really runs in line with where the uh, long end of the bond market is. The bond market is not biting on this super growth or super economy story. If it did, the 10-year yield would be much higher. Or people could say there's so much supply coming into the bond market that it won't be sucked up. We don't really have a good history of that being the case here in America or in Japan. But uh, it, it'll be interesting to see when it cracks, when does the when does the Fed, what does the Fed language then? But the bond market itself should go lower. And this is why the six recession red flag model was created. We're already all raised. Now we're waiting for the last uh, key data line to crack, and that would be the labor market. And still, we're pushing along. In that uh, in that data line, you know, it's possible that this is you know this is obviously anecdotal, and it's possible that it's just my bubble. Um, so most of the time, I'm in Dallas, Fort Worth. I'm also in Wichita, but it, where I go, whether it's restaurants, whether it's to the doctor, whether it's to the you know the vet, whether it's wherever it is, there are not enough workers. There's still signs on all the doors that say we're hiring. And you can tell that because you go in and there's like three people when there should be six people, whatever level that is. Now and, and then you think about, I think, well, there's all those jobs that are harder to see. So think about Amazon Warehouse, you know, August 15th, they just said, you know, um, warehouse running out of workers to hire. I mean, so it, it's one of those things where it's like, it's hard to imagine, but maybe that's just because I'm in a growth area. 
Sarah, I've always said this. It's been a big part of my work over the last, you know, six, seven years. No country has a Dorian Gray labor market (laughs) and death comes for all of us. Um, And when you are aging as a society and your productivity growth is not good, which is the reality here in America, um, our robots suck. That's that's the best that's the best explanation. I, I've written about this before, where all these people say robots are taking all the jobs, and I I just look at all the jobs data going back to World War II, and I say, please circle me. Where did we lose all the jobs to robots? Right, and our productivity growth isn't good, which means that we need labor to replace them. And uh, workers leave the workforce, and if demand keeps on growing, we need not only to be replaced, we need it to grow. So there's a problem because there's parts of the U.S., maybe Wichita, where there's not a lot of young people. I can imagine that in your area, there's not a lot of young people, right? That, you're right. No, you're, you're right. It's yes. a noticeable difference from the DFW area. Is what yes. And, and, and where you're living, and there's other parts of the country, the median age is much older. So naturally, if you don't have prime age labor force growth, young people to replace your older workers, you get caught into a bad area. This is why I always think that if the unemployment rate gets below 3%, it's really not a good sign. Uh, you have some like people who say that, you know, there's millions of people that have been unemployed for like 50 years and they don't like, listen. Majority of the people are working. The population growth is slowing. Productivity growth is slowing. Economics is demographics and productivity, the rest is stamp collecting. The reason I say that is that's such a huge part of economics. You can't really run you know, run away from that too much. Um, so, so many people are working. Jobless claims are still low. Even with the layoffs that we've seen in tech and real estate, jobless claims are under 300,000. Job openings are over 11 million. So, it's a, it's a, it's a new dynamic that us as a country have to uh, uh, wrap our minds around because we see this in Japan. Japan's population is dying off, and they've always had very low unemployment rates, right? They just can't, traditionally can't have very high unemployment rates because most people are working. Uh, and the labor market can't fire so many people because they need people to work. So we're entering that stage. Now, we have very good replacement workers, but uh, again, there's parts of the area, such as where you live, there's not a lot of young people. And I think that's the problem going out for the next 10 to 20 years. Because death comes for all of us. And then first you leave the workforce, and then you start the process to where you die. And those people have to be replaced. Uh, and then if the demand grows, they need more people working. Or productivity just finally kicks up. Uh, and we and, and that'll be a super positive for the United States of America. Not happening. Our productivity growth is not very good. And this is why you know labor is needed, which means wages have to go up. To compensate, I think today I saw the ADP report. Uh, wage growth for starting jobs is like seven percent, and then wage growth for people leaving their jobs to go somewhere else is like sixteen point seven percent. So uh, it, it's 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 what I it's what I was been talking about for very years. We're just finally seeing it because. No country has a Dorian Gray labor market. Which is really funny that you're bringing this up on your literal birthday. I just want to point this out. As you keep saying, people age and then they die. It's like, okay, well, I mean, that's true. That's true of all of us. So I'm going to I'm going to try to uh, nail you down here. I'm a mortgage loan officer or I'm a real estate. You know, I'm out there in our audience. How what is the limit of mortgage rates? How high can they go September, October? Tell me. 
I, I'm still in the camp that six and a quarter, six and a half. What we saw earlier this year, the pricing has to uh, was really bad. We forward, uh, we, we we got a lot of upward pricing early on. And it, for, for me to go above that, the 10-year yield really has to take off, which means the economic data has to get firmer. Uh, if you're a higher mortgage rate camp, then the economic data holds. And it actually did get better in the last month. A lot of the big economic data lines were positive uh, last month. So that needs to continue to get above there. Uh, I wouldn't be so worried about the Federal Reserve like selling mortgage-backed securities or anything in that. Uh, they've already lost the housing market. Trust me, they're well aware that housing is in a recession. Uh, so uh, uh, not not to that count. But if the growth rate of inflation falls and the economic gets uh, weaker, then you could see maybe a bond market rally. But to me, I'm just when all six of my recession red flags are up, uh, in the bond market is inverted already. The the long end of the market is telling you, no, you're not getting your super strong economy that you keep on talking about. The economy is firm enough. To where labor market, but a lot of the other data lines are are, are getting weaker. Uh, but the uh, it is interesting to me that the Federal Reserve is really trying to target retail sales now, uh, and just flat out saying it. You know, we need we need you people to lose your jobs. We need we need we need demand to go down. Housing is in a recession. Auto sales can't really go anywhere because of production, but they really need retail sales to fall. They need people to lose their jobs, and they need. Major discount in pricing, which we're starting to see in, in, in areas, and then we work that supply and demand uh, balance uh, uh, with supply chains and weaker demand. And then the Federal Reserve believes they've 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 done their job in that. Rent inflation, of course, which is the big uh, aspect of core inflation for CPI. That data line, the growth rate is already slowing, but it's going to lag. Uh, on the CPI data until 2023. So that's a 2023 story. So you mentioned all of your red f- recession red flags are up. Housing is definitely in recession, but you've outlined, hey, we're, we're still not, the larger economy is still not in a recession. Do you expect that by the end of the year? You know what? To, to get a recession at the end of the year, you really need the labor market to, you need the jobless claims to break over 300,000. And we're not, we're not there yet. And in fact, the last two weeks, it's slightly declined. So I don't, I don't think we have enough time for this. Uh, uh, but you, you'll see recessionary data at this stage because the leading economic index is already down you know, five, six uh, months in a row is jobless claims. Right now, we're just focusing on the labor market only. So you want to focus on jobless claims data more than anything else. And then right now, the Fed has put retail sales on its target. So uh, those two things are key for them. And I believe uh, we had a... um, we had a question asked. We we uh, did. Uh, we had a, a listener question asked, and so we had someone who said, "Hey, I I bought in. Um, I think it was the spring. I feel like looking at it now. I bought at the top. Um, what do you say to people who sort of have this regret now of like, did I buy at the top and now you know prices have come down a little bit from then? And uh, what is your reaction to that? They asked me to ask you this question. So I'm asking you this question, even though I know and our audience might know that, uh, you know, this is not a that's not a happy answer. This is the old basketball coach in me, Sarah Wheeler. And the old basketball coach in me says, when you're buying a home, you're buying a payment. You're buying a payment to live in. You're buying a house. So most likely for you to raise your family in. So the cost of shelter is what should be your primary uh, factor. If you are worried about price, 
My best answer is you should never buy a house. I mean, I just, I just, I just fundamentally do not understand how if people are going to sit there and be worried about price when the payment is, there's nothing wrong with renting. There's absolutely nothing wrong with renting for the rest of your life. Your landlord will tell you when you could leave. Uh, if you have to plunge your toilet, somebody will come and fix it for you. You have all these freedoms in renting that you don't have to worry about price, right? You just basically pay the rent. That's why I'm a big believer. You're you're buying the cost of shelter, which is a payment. So if you're already regretting the house purchase, you should have never bought it in the first place. I, I'm, I've, I've stuck to this principle because I have to explain to people, why do millions and millions of Americans buy homes each year? Because every year I've been told, oh, why would you buy prices so high? It's going to go to home buyers don't operate that way. Stock traders do. Trolling YouTube housing crash people do. Uh, fanatical Twitter people, God bless their souls, they're great. I love them all. But home buyers typically buy a home. They live in there for a long time. They raise their family. That's kind of how they look at it. And it's just a cost of shelter payment. So uh, my advice is always, if you're ever worried about price, do not buy a house. There's nothing wrong with renting for the rest of your life. That's just that your rents are going to go up every year, of course, but still, you never have to worry about that. The angst of living goes away. There's so much things to worry about. You want to have a freedom to do your job and to have a healthy relationship. Don't worry about prices, man. So, uh, yeah, uh, it has to be the payment first. If you're buying price second, to me, that's what investors do or somebody that's not 100% sure that they want to live in that area or have a relationship with somebody in that house. So, totally different ballgame. That's why I've always said payment first, price second. And if you're really talking about price second, you really shouldn't be buying a home. Thank you for that answer. Uh, I appreciate it. And I would tell our listeners, if you want to ask Logan a question, of course, you can always go on social. He's very active on social, but you can also send it to me at Sarah at hwmedia.com and say, Logan question. And we will go through those and see if we want to ask those on the air. In addition, Logan is going to be in person several at several events this fall. Really excited. You're going to be at the New England Mortgage Banking Association uh, event. And Las Vegas AIM. And you're going to be uh, at AIM, which is the Association of Independent Mortgage Experts, I believe, in, in Vegas. And then you're going to be at our event, the Housing Wire Annual, October 3rd through 5th. And you will be taking uh, questions after your housing housing market super session where you'll be joined by other economists. So there are plenty of opportunities for people to come and talk to you in person if they want to. Yes. And always ask questions. Remember, if you don't ask a question, that's that's the stupid question, right? Uh, uh, knowledge is power. Reading is a good thing. The history of human civilization has Never been kind to those people who don't read and who those who prevent dancing. So those two things what? are. Uh, <laughs> okay, Sarah, it's it's called it's called the movie Footloose. Come on, you, you, you should remember that. You know. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to add Footloose to the Peloponnesian War to see if we yes. have any more Footloose references. I did not reading did not and dancing are coming. reading and dancing are good things, right? That's, that's, that should be a plus. <laughs> when, you, when people stop reading and people stop dancing, it's not a good thing. Okay, I agree with both of those things. All right, Logan Motoshami, thank you for joining us on your birthday, and thanks for bringing this insight and we will talk to you again soon pleasure is all mine
have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.